Well, welcome to everyone in Auburn and Cicero and Westcott. I'm so glad you joined us. And if you're watching online or listening to the podcast, I'm glad you're here. Hey, I want to start out and uh, ask you this. When you th- hear the word Hollywood, what's the first thing that you think of? You know, is it, is it blockbuster movies? Is it the glitz and the glamour? Is it movie stars? Is it the Hollywood sign? You know that famous Hollywood sign, right? That's an incredible sign. Do you know, that was built originally in 1924 as a, a real estate ploy there to, to start this new area, and it was actually called Hollywood Land. And the realtors put it up to promote this area, and eventually they knocked off the land, and it became this big, famous thing. Those letters are actually 45 feet high. And little-known fact about that sign, when Gwen was seven months pregnant, her and I hiked through. You had to go through somebody's backyard and go up through these woods. It was a pretty steep hike, and we got to the base of it. And that's huge, you know? And it was, uh, we were very excited to it. And I, uh, somewhere in my mom's house is a picture of me, this tiny little guy, below that sign. So I, I've been there. Um, now, I doubt many of you, when you hear the word Hollywood, think about truth. But many blockbuster movies actually have a real seed of truth in the middle. That's part of how they hook us. Because that truth draws us in. There's, there's something about that movie, the great ones, that relates to our experience. And so that's why I'm doing this series called Blockbuster. That through it, we're going to look at different mir- movies that have been produced over the last year. We're going to grab that truth, and then we're going to go deeper and wider with it to really see what the Bible has to say about that truth. Truth is key. That's why for this series, we have this, this saying that Jesus communicated to us. Uh, we gave it out last week. It's a quote from Jesus. If you didn't get one of these last week, just raise your hand uh, at all the sites. I would love everyone to have them. So hold your hand up. We got ushers. I'll give them to you. If you don't have one or didn't get one last week or missed it last week, just hold your hand high and the ushers will get to you. Because here's the thing. This is what Jesus said. If you hold to my teaching then you are really my disciple. That when we hear this truth that Jesus speaks and we embrace it and we fill our life with that and walk in that, that's really what it means to be his disciple. It's not wearing a t-shirt. It's not playing the game. It's actually walking in these truths. And there's something really powerful about walking in this truth. In fact, Jesus completes his quote. He said, then, you walk this out, then you will know the truth. You'll have experienced the truth. You'll know it in your heart in a deep way. And the truth will set you free. Freedom. Freedom from insecurity. Freedom from, from fear. Freedom from, from guilt and shame. That when we know the truth of Jesus, we have the freedom now to grow into all that we were made to be. Truth is powerful. So I hope we can dig into it in this series. Today, what I want to do is look at the movie Shazam. That was a fun movie. I really enjoyed it. The, The core of this movie 
is a story about this, this kid, this high school kid, who actually is an orphan, and he's, he's kind of been shuffled to different foster's homes. He comes to this one foster home, and, and it's a story about finding real family. And in the process, he, he uh, kind of bumps into this superhero powers that he gets, and they, they have this battle against this, this evil lord and, and win it. You know, and I think the movie actually reflects the truth around the church. This, this idea of, of the power of God able to do things. Now, I know that lots of you may, may question the local church. You wonder, is it really that powerful? Is it that good? I mean, I mean you, you hear stories, you maybe experience things about the local church, like you see its brokenness. You see all over the place and stories in the papers about, about different church leaders falling into, into corrupt behavior, hypocritical actions. You know, there's, there's this whole thing that, that all of us, if you've been a part of a church for any length of time, you have been hurt by the church. And you think, the church? What's so great about the church? Is the church really worth it, you might wonder? Is the church really worth it? You know, uh, I'm really busy. Should I, should I bother to take some of my time and, and, and use it with the church? You know, I only have so much energy. Should I invest it into that community of faith? You may, is it really worth it? Is it really worth it for my finances? I mean, time, money, and energy. I only have such limited numbers of those. Is the church worth it? Is it a good investment? You know, is the church worth it? You know how I'd answer that question? Yes, yes. And yes, but more importantly, by what I might think about, I believe that Jesus would, if you asked him that question, would say, yes, yes, and yes. And I know that the word of God, the Bible, the eternal truth would say, yes, yes, yes. The local church is worth it. Now, why? Why is that? Well, first... It is actually a place to be loved and accepted. And an actual community that should do that. Anyone from anywhere should be loved and accepted. Now, in this clip, uh, it, it's it, from the movie Shazam. It kind of shows what the church is. It's a collection, really, in some ways, of, of misfits of broken people that can come together and form a church. Watch this. This is, this is Billy, this, the kind of star of the movie. And he's just been brought in by this new set of foster parents. And they're introducing him to all their foster kids. Watch this. We're home. That's what happens when you suck. 
So much for the welcome party. Yeah, that thing growing out of the couch would be Eugene. Is that him? Oh my gosh, Billy! Oh, slow down, slow down. Welcome home. And that's Darla. And Darla. Big hugger. I noticed. Die, die, die! He doesn't mean that. It's a game. Hey, no sodas after dark, remember? Whoa, when did it get dark? Yes, exactly why your math department is so uniquely suited for me. No, I can't, I can't even with Eugene right now. Sorry, Mary, hi, college interview. I'm Billy. What am I most excited about? Oh, what a great question. I was hoping you'd ask. Mention you're a foster kid, colleges eat that up. What I'm most excited about is the campus experience. As a foster child, I'm a big believer in finding family and friends in the most unlikely of places. Oh no, the tofurkey! Oh no, we may have to eat a real turkey! Is that? It's okay, come, I'll show you your room. It's a bit of a madhouse, I know, but it's fun. Watch the bum step. Pedro, mi amor. Hola. Say hi to Billy. Don't take it personally. He's like that with everyone. Freddie. This is Billy Batson. Make sure you're making him feel at home, okay? Maybe don't say anything too weird. Oh, one weird thing is, you know the Romans used to brush their teeth with their urine? <laughs> and apparently it, it works. Um... Oh, it's a, it's a long way down. Trust me, I speak from experience. Victor pushed me. They seem nice, but don't buy it. It gets real Game of Thrones around here. What? Kidding, again. You look at me and you're like, why so dark? You're a disabled foster kid. You've got it all, right? Gathering of misfits, building community, building family in some way. That's what the church is. It's to be this place that is loving and accepting of everyone. Listen to what Paul said to the church in Rome. And he's communicating here uh, how to have a, a healthy church, a healthy community. He's, he's, he's got this whole chunk of teaching. And then he gives this command right in the midst of it. He says this, he says, accept one another. That you and I, as part of the community of faith, as part of the local church, are to accept and love anyone and everyone who comes by. We accept people re regardless of, of where they're at, what they've done, you know, what they look like. How much money do you have? What's their education? What's their skin color? What's their nation of origin? That is to be a community where everyone and every, anyone is accepted. Love one another just as Christ loved you. Accepted you. Just as Christ accepted you. How did Jesus accept you? I, I don't know how your relationship with Jesus went. And I know some of you here may not even know Jesus yet. I'm really glad you're here and listening in because I want you to know what the local church is to be about. But I know in my experience, he, 
He accepted me right where I was at. He, he pursued me. He, he had grace with me. He, he supported me. It was a, an acceptance that was mind-boggling and life-altering. A complete acceptance. And this kind of acceptance, it goes on to say we do this in order to bring praise to God. Then when people see a community of people like that, they, they respond. They, they see it, something stirred in them. Because you know what? We all know intrinsically in our God, that's the way it should be. That's the way we were created. That it shouldn't matter what, 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 what your, your, your wealth is or, or, or your education or, or your color or your language. We know the way it was supposed to be, that it, the way that is right is that we accept one another regardless of where you were at. And they know, I think why it brings praise to God is because when people see it, they say, wow, there's something supernatural in that. Because I don't see it other places. I don't see generations coming together. I don't see races coming together. It's important, especially when a community is diverse. It brings praise to God as there's real reconciliation, that there are walls knocked down as we perform the ministry of reconciliation to one another. You know, that's why at the vineyard we have this saying that we, this value of come as you are and be loved. You know, we got it painted. Uh, for those at the site, you may not see this, but this is at the State Fair site. You all saw it out there in the lobby. But our goal is in the next six months to get that same mural in every one of our sites and in our community center. And if you look around, there's about, I think it's 13 languages, I'm not sure exactly, where that same phrase is, come as you are, in different languages. Languages that are spoken from different people in our church, their native language. Because we want to communicate this across all bounds. That we are a place that will love like that. That we're committed to be accepting like that. You know, I think that kind of community is a glimpse of heaven. A taste of the presence of Almighty. That's why you'll always hear me talk about it around here. We want to do this in all things we do. Is the church worth it? Well, it's worth it to Jesus. I mean, think about this, right? Jesus lived the best life ever. If we want to have a great life, living it like him will put us in the right place. And his life was linked to the church. Check this out, right? This is a time, Jesus is about 30 years old right now. He has lived in almost his whole life in this, this city of Nazareth, which was kind of a, a backwater area. It wasn't a, a considered religious center at all. And um, he had just recently been called by God to go get baptized by John the Baptist. And then he was pressed, he was 
driven to the desert for 40 days fasting and praying and fighting the enemy's temptations. And after that, he goes back to his hometown. We pick the story up there. And it says, when he, Jesus, went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. This is what Jesus always did. He, he went to the, the synagogue. The synagogue is the local Jewish gathering. It would, in a sense, be in that time the Jewish church. And so it's just local people gathering together to worship together, to listen to the, to the word, the scriptures together, to encourage one another, to be a family together. And Jesus made a commitment to this local church. Now, I want you to think about that, right? Here is Jesus, God in flesh, this incredible, brilliant mind. When he was 12 years old, right, he, he, he stayed in Jerusalem at the temple where the greatest minds of Judaism in the world would be. And it says they were gathered around and listened to him, and they were amazed and how incredible, insightful he was. And he went, probably listened to a so-so preacher. You can relate to that. I understand, right? <laughs> like, there it is. But he was so committed, so loved at local church. You know, it was his custom. You think about, he had this intimacy with the Father. He, you know, he, was, he was God's son. He was the second person in the Trinity. He knew that relationship better than anybody. And he lived a perfect life, a holy life. And yet was in a community of people who were broken and bruised. Somewhere in their healing process. He didn't, in a sense, need a church. But he did. He was a part of it. This ragtag gathering. Do you know, why'd he go? I think some of the reasons were some of the same reasons we should. I, I think just like us, because he was truly human and we're made in the image of God, he needed community. He wanted community. We are made for community, for other people and a journey with Jesus together. Because it sharpens ourselves. It helps us grow. We learn from each other. You know, I think besides community, I, I think he understood that, that praise is best in community. Now, sure, you can worship on your own, but there's something about being together, having other voices ring up and, and sing the, how awesome God is. That in the midst of, of together, there's this multiplying effect of our, of our worship that is impacting and powerful. You can't get that on your own. You can't get that online. That is something as we gather together where God comes in the presence of our praises. And that's in the Bible. You know, I, I think that Jesus came to the local church, his synagogue, because he knew and experienced joy in serving. And when we're just on our own couch, caring about our own needs, that, that doesn't lead to joy. It's when we're rolling up our sleeves 
and sweating for one another, where real joy and satisfaction can fill our lives. It's in community where the presence of the Holy Spirit moves the most. It's together that we can work to honor Jesus. You know, it's the right thing to do. He, you know, the, the whole call of scriptures of the Sabbath and coming together to worship. Now, understand this. Jesus loves the church. Listen to what um, Paul wrote. He said this. He says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loves the church. See, that highest sense of love. When a man and a woman make a commitment to life together, this, this deep sense of love, that's the love that Jesus has for the church. His number one love. And in that love, he gave himself up for her, for the church, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. He did all he could, sacrificing life, to, to redeem those humans, to bring them together in a community. And gives his word, his empowering word. You should study the word, because it's changing it. And to present her, the church, to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. That he puts his energy into helping the church be all it was made to be. There's power released in that gathering. And it goes on, just this whole thing of, of, of the church as a bride, right? Now I flip the revelation at the end of time and where the, the, all this evil is being destroyed and defeated. It then goes and says this, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb, when, when the Bible talks about the Lamb, it's talking about Jesus. John the Baptist saw him. He said, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The, the, a Lamb in the Bible is symbolic of the, that sacrifice that can wash away sin. That was Jesus. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. That this, this worship of the church, the acts of justice from the church, the moves of compassion from the church, these are the prayers of the church. These are the fine linen that it clothes herself with that brings honor to Jesus. You know, it's this, this commitment this eternal commitment that Jesus makes to the local church. <laughs> I remember my wedding day. I really do. It was 35 years ago. I mean, I know you think, wow, was Gwen 10 when she got married? You know? <laughs> Don't worry, it's okay. We're in West Virginia. No, I'm sorry. If you're from West Virginia, I'm really sorry if you're from West Virginia. Not. Um, <laughs> I remember 35 years ago, we were in Short Hills, New Jersey, a church called Clinton Hills Baptist Church. And 
I was standing up there in front, and Gwen came in with her dad on her side. And she walked down, and I'm telling you, my heart ached. It had so much love for this woman. She, she walked towards me, ready for us to make this, this lifetime commitment, this, this woman who, who so made me better, this woman who, who challenged me and leaped in faith with me and made me laugh and just put spice into life. And we were going to have the rest of our lives together. I could think of nothing else I wanted more in the world that moment. You know, the crazy thing is, that's what Jesus sees when he looks at the local church, be it in Westcott or Auburn or Cicero or Northside or around the state fair or, or in, you know, in, in Anchorage, Alaska or Beijing or Mexico City loves the church. It's worth it if he loves it. <laughs> what he loves, we should love. You know, is the church worth it? Well, it's the winning team that as weak as it may look sometimes to us, that is, it is victorious. It is powerful. It is it is strong and able with the presence of the Holy Spirit. You know, in the movie Shazam, right? Billy, this high school kid, gets these superpowers put in him. And in, in the midst of he's battling this, this major evil guy, right? Who, who's, who's got the power of the seven deadly sins. And at the end of the movie, it looks like all is lost. And Billy, and, who, who is Shazam, and all his, his family, his new family, is defeated. And yet they're not. Take, take a look at this clip. Time's over, boy. Friends can't help you anymore. simple word. I have a better trick. Four words. Kill the little girl. No! 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 
face hole. That's where he gets his power. Reach for it. I dare you. Wise decision. Hands on the staff. Billy, don't do this. Billy! Billy! Say the name that I say to turn into this guy. People come together in community and they receive supernatural power. They're unstoppable. And supernatural power is the Holy Spirit released through relationship with Jesus. And the community is the local church. Listen to what Jesus said one time. This is, he's been, he's been training the apostles for about the last year. And he takes them away. Things are getting a little crazy. He's got to kind of recalibrate them a little bit. And he brings them out of, of their normal area to a spot that is pretty much Gentile. There's not much Jew, Jewish influence there. And there, he asks them some questions to say, get away from it all. He says, who do people say that I am? And they, they throw out some different ideas. Oh, some people are saying you're John the Baptist or Elijah or Jeremiah, or, you know, some of the other prophets. And like Jesus does then, he turns it personal. He says, who do you say that I am? And Simon stands and says, you know what? He says, you are the Messiah the son of the living God. He makes this bold proclamation that Jesus, you're not just some run-of-the-mill human being, that you are God's son, that you are the Messiah, that you are the savior of the whole world. 
this great blessing that we've been waiting for. You are it. And Jesus replies, as I bet the 11 apostles are staring at her, dumbfounded, like, what? And I imagine Jesus, with all the authority in a voice, he says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my Father in heaven, that the very Spirit of God came and gave him insight to who Jesus really was. This is the grace of God moving in his life. And he says, and I tell you, you are Peter. You know, just like he changed Abram's name to Abraham, he changes Peter's name now to Peter. And that translates, I change your name to a rock. This flimsy, flippable kind of guy suddenly is a rock. And on this rock, this rock of Jesus, of, of Peter's confession, this rock of, of confessing humanity in community, this, this rock of when we proclaim Jesus as Lord, that's the rock. It's not Peter. You know, some people in the history of the church have gotten that wrong. I thought, oh, he was saying, Peter, you are it. You are this, this, this perfect, ultimate human being. And now you have more authority than everybody else. And, and anybody who takes your seat will have that authority. It's, it's not that. The early church didn't believe that. He actually didn't even seem to be the leader of the whole church, as you read Acts. But it's this confessing human community. That's the rock. And he says, on that rock, on the local church, he says, I, Jesus, not Peter, I, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not prevail, that hell itself will not win, that no evil will stand us by the end, that the church is victorious, that it wins. And it, 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 you know, notice it's the gates. Gates are a defensive mechanism. Gates are the last stand. But the church, the community of faith, rallied around Jesus, moving his power, wins. Then it knocks all strong points down and moves forward in victory. And it will not win. And that is the promise of Jesus to us. It may look weak. It may look dusty. At times it may be confused. And that is because it's broken humans leading it. But the local church, that will win. Together, across this globe. Let me read to you one last little story. Now, I'll give you a little context. This is in the book of Acts. And at this point, the church is doing pretty well. It's growing. It's impacting. It's, having, it's transforming Jerusalem and, and some other areas and Antioch. It is, it is having this, this great growth. But people hate to see that. And the status quo is challenged by that. And so we pick up the story there where there's some punchback. And what happens, it says in verse 1, Acts 12, 
is about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. Stop. Think about this for a minute, right? Here is, is James, one of the earliest followers of Jesus, one of the 12 apostles, this one who people look up to, people who know him. And he's scooped up, and he's taken away, and he's murdered. He's martyred right there. I want you to understand how chilling that is for a community. I mean, could you imagine if, if, if there was some pastor, some spiritual leader in, in Central New York who was grabbed by the government and executed? It would freeze us. It would fill us with fear. It would give this thing that you are weak and we are strong. We will be, you know, the, that the outside will win. I mean, think about the effects of these kinds of things have. Humanity's been using them forever. I mean, think about a lynching in the deep south during Jim Crow. You say, well, it was just one person. No, it, it chilled the whole community. It was terrifying to people. That was the shadow right then that was laying on the church. You know, I had a friend... Um, not a close friend, but I've met him a number of times. Uh, he spoke here once. His name is Barnabas. He's from Nigeria. And Nigeria, if you know anything about that country, uh, southern Nigeria is more Christianized. Northern Nigeria is Muslim. And he serves in northern Nigeria. And he's planting churches throughout northern Nigeria, going in and praying and signs and wonders and people converting, and, and his life is, is, you know, in danger. And he told the story one time about how this village where there's a conversion and a number of families converted, and what these militants came in and burned their houses down and kidnapped some of the kids and he talked about the chilling and terrifying effect of that. That was what the church was feeling at that moment. I don't want us just to read this and forget that these are real people. Well, when Herod saw that that was met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. Now the next big, this, this one of these leaders who everybody could see, he has him arrested. It happened during the Festival of Unleavened Bread where lots of people were in there in Jerusalem so he could make a big point. After arresting him, he put him in, in prison, handing him over to the guard to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial at the Passover. This is like tight security. Four guys, round the clock, so they just kept taking like two-hour shifts or four-hour shifts, and there was always four guys there. Because Herod knows he's got a winner here now. This is going to make him more powerful and, and beloved by the Jews. So Peter was kept in prison. 
But the church, Peter was in prison. Peter was, was, was boarded up. The, 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 this power structure looked like it was winning. But the church, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. And I'm not going to take the time to finish the story. Read it. What happens is suddenly in that, in that jail, an angel meets Peter. The chains supernaturally fall off him. He walks by all the guards. The door, the prison door, literally opens up. He walks down the street with this angel, the whole time thinking this is a dream. And then the angel leaves and he goes, this is real. And he goes back and lets the church know who's praying what happened and it goes. You see, there was defeat in the air. There was a power imbalance. But the church, but the church prayed, but the church acted. It's the church that is powerful. When we stand together, when we move in the power of the presence of God, things are transformed. But the church, there are people going to hell, but the church shared the story of salvation and lives were transformed. You know, but people are sick and in pain, but the church laid hands on them in the community and healing happened in people's lives. But there, there, there's this injustice but the church, the church moved in justice. The per church moved in standing against what was evil. And justice happened. But the, the, the community was ripped apart by racial division. But the church saw beyond that. But the church loved people that were different than them. And healing happened. But the church... When the church moves in the power of Jesus, listening to his truth and in his power, things change. The local church can do that. Even though we are broken and struggling and weak on our own, it's together with the power of God that the wind comes. People have sought to destroy the church since its inception. I mean, a quick view of, of that. If, if you just give me 10 seconds, you could say Rome sought to destroy the church, but the church won. And Rome hands himself, the, itself over to Christianity. The Ottoman Empire sought to destroy the church and Christianity, but the church survived. Communism sought to destroy the church in every country it took root, but the church always grew. In the midst of persecution. Do you know in China alone, China, when, when, the, when it went communist in 1949, and it kicked out all the missionaries, and by best estimates, there may have been at most a million believers in that country. And what is estimated now that there is over a hundred million followers of Jesus in hidden churches, house churches throughout that country. The church is powerful and it wins in the end. 
I want you to understand you're part of the church. And you can and win. We can win. We will win in the end. But we need to rely on the power of Jesus. And we need to rely on one another. It's community that is a glue where the Spirit can flow through. Here's what I'd like to ask you to do at all the sites. Grab your connection card. And what I'd like to ask you to do is uh, look on the back of your card. On the bottom and the back, it says, action step. Take five minutes at the service and meet someone. I'd like to invite you to begin to build a bigger, stronger network together. Now, I know I read that, and every one of the introverts listening to that said, no way, John. I don't want to spend time with those people I don't know. I get that. I don't get that because I'm an extrovert, but my wife's an introvert. And so I got a little insight into introverts. But it's important that we make those connections. I'm taking just five minutes. Just afterwards, grab someone that maybe sits in the area near you or, or someone you don't know and just introduce yourself and tell yourself, tell them a little bit about you. Ask them about them. So, oh, how long you, how long you been going to Vineyard? Oh, what do you do? Uh, do you have any, you just small talk. Just begin and, and get their name. And what I want you to do is remember that name and hold on to it. So next week you can say hello by name. Okay? If you want to do that, check that box. I'm going to invite the ushers to come up front. They'll give you a, a bucket. Drop the connection card in the bucket. Pass it down the row. At the end of the row, we'll collect those connection cards. 